There is much misunderstanding that surrounds the teaching of election. There are also a host of misrepresentations regarding what the doctrine actually teaches. If a person thinks that the teaching of election dampens enthusiasm, then that person does not really understand election. In fact, the doctrine of election, rightly understood, is a great motivation for the sharing of the gospel. But most importantly, as I look out upon the congregation this morning, most importantly, if you, having come to believe in election, has dampened your enthusiasm for evangelism, or because you believe in election, you don't really think that evangelism is all that important or necessary, then I really encourage you to hearken to this particular text this morning, and may the Spirit of God renew and restore that conviction that it's really, really important that we be sharing the gospel with others. The theme this morning is that Paul endures the hardships associated with the preaching of the gospel so that the elect will be saved. Let me say that again. Paul endures the hardships associated with the preaching of the gospel so that the elect will be saved. The key verse is 2 Timothy 2, verse 10. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. As we look at this text, the first thing we note is that Paul endures the hardships associated with the preaching of the gospel. It says in verse 10, Therefore I endure everything, everything. All the hardships, the difficulties that uh, the Apostle Paul has been experiencing. Paul's been appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher to make the gospel known. If you look at the larger context of 2 Timothy chapter 1, look at verse 10. Starting there, it says, Which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who abolished death, brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher. So he's appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the gospel. Paul has been suffering as a result of making the gospel known. Look at chapter 1, verse 12 which is why I suffer as I do. It is because of this preaching, teaching the gospel, that he is suffering. Look at the more immediate text, 2 Timothy 2, verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I'm suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. So he's suffering as a result of preaching the gospel. And we can look at Paul's life and know that he's been beaten, he's been in shipwrecks, he's suffered in many different respects. But in our text, it's primarily this aspect of suffering while he's in prison, suffering the abandonment, suffering the aloneness that has uh, come to him as a result of 
preaching and teaching the gospel. Paul then encourages Timothy to endure the suffering that comes in making the gospel known. 2 Timothy 1.8 Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel of God. 2 Timothy 2.3 Share in suffering as a, goal, as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. So Paul says, I've been suffering as a result of preaching, teaching, making the gospel known. He says to Timothy, be willing to suffer in order to make the gospel known. And ultimately, it comes down to us that we should be willing to suffer in order to make the gospel known. So we ask the question, what motivation is there to be willing to suffer as a result of making the gospel known? Why would I want to do that? Why would you want to do that? Why would anybody want to suffer in association with making the gospel known? Why not just be quiet? Why not just keep it to yourself? Why not say, well, I'm saved, and that's all I really care about, and avoid any suffering, hardship, difficulty that might come, even discomfort, in association with the gospel? What incentive is there? Well, actually, there are numerous incentives. Numerous incentives. Um, this morning, I'm not going to go through them all. I'm going to limit myself to the one that's in the text. All right? There's only one that's given in the text this morning. And it may be surprising. Because in Reformed circles, the answer that is usually given as to why we should share the gospel with others is in order to make God's glory known. In order to make God's glory known. That's true. That's true. That's biblical. But it's not the only incentive. It's not the only incentive. And this morning we're going to look at quite a different incentive. So what is it? Well, notice number two. Paul endures the hardships of the gospel for the elect's sake. For the benefit of the elect. Verse 10. Therefore I endure everything. Now here's the reason. For the sake of the elect. That's how it's translated in the ESV. The King James. And the NIV. I endure everything for the sake of the elect. The NAS translates it. For this reason I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen. Chosen. So, who are the elect? What does that mean when the Bible says that uh, he suffers all things for the sake of the elect? Who are the elect? The answer, the elect are people who are chosen by God to be saved. The Bible Fellowship Church's Articles of Faith define election as follows. Election is a free act of the sovereign God, in which from eternity, for reasons known only to himself, and apart from any foreseen faith and or goodness found in man, he graciously chose from among the fallen mankind a people unto salvation, that they might be conformed to Christ's image, those so chosen he redeemed by his Son, 
and seals by his spirit. So as we look at this, this doctrine, the first thing that we want to consider from the text is, on what basis are the elect chosen? On what basis are the elect chosen? We don't know the basis or ground for the reason that God chooses whom he chooses. But we do know, however, what the ground is not. We do know that God does not choose people on the basis of their works or their foreseen faith. Look with me at 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8. 2 Timothy 1, verse 8. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling. And now these words, not because of our works. He saved us and called us with a holy calling, not because of our works. The saved us includes Paul, Timothy, and ultimately all who are to be saved. Ephesians 2.8.9, a very familiar portion of scripture, says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of, your gift, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. We do know that there is nothing in us that is meritorious that makes us in any way deserving of being chosen by God. So the ground for our being chosen cannot be found in us at all. There's nothing meritorious. There's nothing to put us forward. There is nothing to distinguish us from someone else. For notice back in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9, who saved us, called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, which we just saw, but because of his own purpose, and now this next statement, and grace. And grace. The very definition of grace is unmerited favor. Unmerited favor. Meaning there is nothing that obligates a person to act that acts in grace. There is nothing in us, therefore, that is meritorious or deserving of our being chosen by God. So, though we don't know why we're chosen, we do know it's not because of our works, and we do know it's not because of anything meritorious within ourselves. But we do know this. We do know that God had an aim in choosing those whom he has chosen. And that aim is to accomplish his purpose. Notice with me 2 Timothy 1.9 again. Who saved us, called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because, now here's another setting forth the reason, because of his own purpose. 
his own purpose. The scriptures repeatedly tell us that we are chosen by God to fulfill his purpose, his aim, his desire. In Romans 8.28, it says, We know that all things work together for good to those that love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. I already alluded to Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But the next verse says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God before ordained that we should walk in them. So God has a purpose in saving us. And we need to accomplish that purpose. We need to fulfill those works that he has intended for us to do. So let me ask again, who are the elect? Who are the elect? Paul says, I endure everything for the sake of the elect. So let me answer it in another way. We don't know who the elect are until they respond to the gospel. The elect do not have big E's on their forehead. So that we can look around and say, aha, okay, there's an elect person, there's an elect person, there's an elect. We don't know who the elect are. Paul is not thinking about a specific group of people that he knows by name who yet need to be reached. Rather, Paul is speaking about a group of people unknown to him, but known by God, who still must be reached with the gospel. It is with those people in mind that Paul continues to endure the hardships associated with preaching and teaching and making the gospel known. So again we ask the question, why? Why does Paul suffer hardship for the sake of the elect? Okay, now we know who it is. Now we know what motivates him, but, but what is it about the elect that causes Paul now to be willing to suffer in order to make the gospel known? The answer is so that the elect will be saved. Notice verse 10. Paul endures the hardships of the gospel so that the elect will be saved. If you underline or circle or highlight or do something to um, distinguish particular verses in the scripture, I would encourage you to do it with this one. Okay? Uh, this is an extremely important verse of scripture. <clears throat> if I had it to do all over again and we were working on Embark again, I'd make sure this verse was in the, the memory pack. It's not but I wish it were. Verse 10. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of elect that they may also obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. This verse teaches us the elect need at some point to be saved. The subjunctive mood, which is the words that they may obtain salvation, is not to be intended as a statement of uncertainty. So that maybe they will be saved. That's not what's being said. Rather, the subjunctive mood speaks 
of a condition that is contrary to fact. Paul is speaking of the elect who are going to be saved, but they are not yet saved. Let me say that again. He's talking about a people who are going to be saved, but are not yet saved. As I said before, the elect are chosen before the foundation of the world. Look at 2 Timothy 1.9. Who saved us, called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace. Now these words, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Before the ages began, it was his intent to save us and call us and fulfill his purpose. Ephesians 1, 3 and 4 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. So God made this choice even before he made this earth. In eternity past, he chose a people to be saved. But now, here's the point. However, the elect are not saved from before the foundation of the world. The elect are saved at a point in time. The elect are saved at a point in time in their life. No one here this morning was born saved. We were separated from God before we were saved. But we were not saved before we were born. Galatians 1.15 But when he who had set me apart before I was born and then he says and called me by his grace. He was set apart but yet he had to be called. The elect need to be saved through the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice verse 10. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus. Without Christ, there is no salvation. The salvation of which he speaks is accomplished through Jesus Christ. So let me say this to you first. To say that evangelism is not necessary because election teaches that God is going to save a people Therefore, God's going to do whatever he does, and it doesn't matter whether or not we evangelize. It's just as foolish as saying, if God is going to save whom he will, and that's going to come to pass, then it's needless for Jesus to die, because he's going to save people anyway. God not only has ordained the ends, he also has ordained the means. He's ordained not only what is going to come to pass, He's also ordained how it's going to come to pass. 
And it comes to pass through the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it comes to pass through our making that message known to a lost people who place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That saving relationship is established by faith. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, For by grace are you saved through faith. The elect must come to faith. Paul speaks of a time prior to his having believed. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, you don't need to turn there, but in 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul gives his testimony. And he says this, Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. Paul says there was a time in my life that I didn't believe. And in that period of time in my life, when I didn't believe, I blasphemed the things of God. I persecuted the church. I was insolent. I was an opponent of the truth. He said, I acted in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. He went from a place of unbelief to a place of faith. That has to occur in the life of everyone who is going to be saved. They are born in need of faith. They are born in need of this personal relationship to Jesus Christ. We are told in the book of Timothy that Timothy came to faith as a child. In 2 Timothy 3.15, it says, And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, from a child, you learned the scriptures which are able to make you wise unto salvation and give you faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Timothy 1.5, Paul says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure that dwells in you. Paul came to faith. Timothy came to faith. You and I, if you know the Lord Jesus as your Savior, came to faith. And everyone who is going to be saved must come to faith, must put their trust in Jesus Christ. How do they come to faith? The elect will be saved through the faithful preaching, teaching of making the gospel known in some manner of the Lord Jesus Christ. As I said, it would be just as foolish to say that a person can be saved without hearing about Christ as it is to say that a person can be saved without Christ having died. For God has ordained not only the ends, but the means of salvation. 
He has ordained that the means of salvation would be accomplished by the sharing of the gospel in some manner, in some form, with other people. 1 Corinthians 1.21 says this, For after the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God, it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Now when he says the foolishness of preaching, he's not talking specifically about what I'm doing this morning. But it's abroad of making the gospel known. He uses preaching like I'm doing this morning. He uses teaching. He uses tracts. He uses radio broadcasts. He uses a myriad of ways. But they all are involved somehow with human beings making known the gospel to others. Listen to the progression that is given to us in the book of Romans. Just listen, you don't need to turn there. It starts with this statement. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Then it asks a question. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? Here's this. They don't have faith. And how are they to believe in him of whom they haven't heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. The making of the gospel known is essential for it is the means that God has given for the elect to be saved through faith. Romans 10, 17. I would imagine many of you know this verse. So faith comes by hearing and hearing... Okay? Faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the word of God. We are told that the elect are saved by grace through faith. Unmerited choice of which now faith has to be exercised. We know that that faith comes from God for it is not of works lest any man should boast but it is a gift of God. But how does God gift that faith? How does God produce that faith in the elect. Answer, the instrument that God uses to produce faith in the elect is his word. It's the gospel message. It is hearing that message that causes the elect to respond in faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's incredibly important for all of us to know and to understand. There is a passage I'd like you to turn to. Turn your keep your, your finger here and turn with me to Titus, just a couple of chapters over. Book of Titus. 
is not an isolated thought in the New Testament. Titus 1.1. Paul. You're there? Titus, I want you to see this. Again, if you, if you underline, circle, here's a good one. Okay? Titus 1.1. Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, same wording, for the sake, but now it says, of the faith of God's elect. Here he is. He's, he's an apostle for the sake of the faith of God's elect. Paul endures the hardship and the guilt and the difficulties so that the elect will have faith and trust in Jesus Christ. It is the instrument that God uses to produce faith in his people. So, conclusion. First, the doctrine of election, rightly understood, provides great motivation to share the gospel. Why? Well, first, we share the gospel so the elect will be saved. God has ordained not only the ends, he's ordained the means. It's really important. And the salvation process that we are sharing the gospel. You can't take the sharing of the gospel out of the equation. Any more than you take the death and resurrection of Christ out of the equation. It's how God has chosen to work. Secondly, it's a great motivation for sharing the gospel because our sharing the gospel will not be futile. There are people whom God has chosen and when they hear, he will produce faith and they will be saved. You can anticipate, you can expect if you are a regular and faithful share of the gospel of Christ to those who don't know him, that you will see fruit. Not because of your ability, not because of the way in which you frame the argument, not because of how righteous you are, not because of anything that we do other than make the gospel known. God will work in those people's lives and bring them to faith. Share the gospel. You will see people come to faith. I've been blessed to see a lot of people come to faith over the years. But you have to be sharing with people who aren't saved. Uh, you know? Uh, you can't just be witnessing to your friends. You can't just be talking to those people that, that already know the gospel. You've got to be talking to people who don't know the Lord. We know that people will come to faith 
because God's word is powerful. Look with me at the context, 2 Timothy 2, verse 8. Remember, Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. There's only so much I can do in one message. But this goes back to where it talks about Christ having abolished death and brought immortality to light, back in 2 Timothy chapter 1. He said, remember, Christ has risen from the dead. That's important because it isn't simply the death of Christ that saves us. It's the death and resurrection. The scripture says, if Christ died and has not risen again, we are of all men most miserable. We are yet in our sins. So it's Christ's death and resurrection. Remember Christ has risen. Remember that he has triumphed. Remember that he has overcome sin and death. There's your confidence. Verse 9. For which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But now notice the next statement. But the word of God is not bound. The word of God is not bound. Paul says they can put me in prison, but they can't imprison God's word. They can overpower me, but they can't overpower God. Paul endured because he was confident that God's word would accomplish its purpose and the people would be saved. Turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 4. This whole book is so intricately woven together. 2 Timothy chapter 4, starting in verse 16. So in Timothy 4, 16, In my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by and strengthened me. Okay. Uh, Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, may, may, may God strengthen you by his grace to endure. Paul says, I endured by God's grace, his, his strength. He strengthened me so that, verse 17, through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. Paul said, at my first defense, God was with me. God gave me strength. So that through me the message would be given to, to all the Gentiles. Paul said, I endured. And when I had to stand and give a defense for why I'm in prison, he didn't recant. He didn't take the way out. He didn't refuse to acknowledge the gospel that would get him out of prison. But instead, he used it as an opportunity to proclaim. He explained why he was in prison. He was in prison because of the gospel, and he gave the gospel. And he did so, it says, so that all the Gentiles would hear. 
which teaches us that we share the gospel with everyone. We aren't running around looking and trying to determine who are the elect and we'll go to them. Because they don't have big E's on their forehead. And we know that God has a people from every tongue and tribe and people and nation. And we can't even guess who those people are that might come to faith. Paul is the most unlikely candidate. Who would have ever thought that Paul was one of the elect as you saw him as a young man? Persecuting the church. Vehemently opposed to everything that's of God. You can't just look and say, well, now they seem interested in the things of God, and they don't seem very interested, or, or, or they seem like they have a soft heart, and that person seems very hard. No. There is just absolutely no way on the outside of determining who are the elect. We know when they respond. We give glory to God. We say, thank you, God, for working the life of this person. But until they respond, we don't know. And the elected always respond the first time. Paul stood by and heard the testimony of Stephen. Didn't immediately respond. Most of us did not respond the first time we heard. So you can't say, well, I shared the gospel with this person three times. They must not be the elect. No. There is no way of knowing until they respond. We share the gospel with everyone. When we do, the elect will be saved. It is for that reason that the doctrine of election is a strong motivation for us to evangelize because it's needed and it will be effectual. Let me put it to you another way. If you are saved this morning, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, you're saved. Would you raise your hand? Thank you. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior and someone had shared the gospel with you, would you raise your hand? Okay. How many of you were saved and you never knew anything about the gospel? Look around. We are saved by the grace of God through the message of salvation. If you are saved this morning, God saved you. And if you are saved this morning, God saved you that you would participate in some way with reaching others with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I say participate in some way. But we're to accomplish his purpose. We are to accomplish the good works that he has given us to do. Somehow we ought to be involved in this process. And that includes not just going to mission fields and not just becoming preachers. That even means talking to your own son and daughter. 
telling them how they need the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. Nobody is born saved. Talk to your children. Tell them about Jesus Christ. Tell them how important it is that they exercise faith and trust in Him. But don't be silent. They're not going to be saved without hearing the gospel. Let us endure, despite any suffering that we might experience, being associated with making the gospel known, so that, according to our text, the elect may obtain salvation. So they'll be saved. If you had any questions about the legitimacy or the need of sharing the gospel with others, I hope that this text will answer those hesitations. Let's pray. Almighty God, we are grateful that in your sovereign wisdom and in your grace you have chosen a people unto yourself. Thank you, Lord, for the salvation that we enjoy. Thank you, Lord, for your grace at work in our lives. Thank you, Lord, for those that have made the gospel known to us in some way. Talked to us, gave us a tract. Participated in giving money so that ministries would take the word to places where we can't. Lord, Lord thank you for our salvation. And Lord, I, I pray that, that we'd understand that we have been saved for a purpose. And that purpose, O oh God, among other things, is to make salvation known to others. And Lord, we, we know that by your grace and by the power of your word, for your word is not bound, and faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God, that we, uh, if we are faithful in declaring your word, that we will see the elect come to faith. Lord, give us that confidence. Even as God revealed to Paul when he was going to Corinth, to Macedonia, to such a difficult place, and God said to Paul, I have many people in this place. Oh Lord, you have many people that you have chosen unto salvation. Lord, help us to be faithful in taking that message realizing how important it is that we do so. And may we rejoice in your grace and goodness when we see people come to faith. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.